Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Overdue Rentals Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies that, hey, maybe they weren't that big when they first came out. Maybe they're massive award winners, just nobody seems to talk about them anymore. I'm Matthew Shuckman. And I'm Cinema Blend Mike Reyes. And folks, I think we're going to have to do this episode on spec because <laughs> there is just so much to talk about with our dear guest, Julia Marchesi. Uh, director of a, I believe it is a short film, but I, 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 I never consider a film too short or too long. That's just Academy Rules, folks. Uh, director of the adaptation of Stephen King's I Know What You Need. Hello, Disco Citizens. Happy to be here. Uh, great to have you here. Julia, you. It's, it's a pleasure. I mean, uh, I, I forget how I first stumbled upon your Twitter account. But I think it was reading about, no, oh, I know what it was. It was the campaign for I Know What You Need, the <laughs> Kickstarter. So I heard about it because I'm, I am an avid King fan. I'm not as hard in the paint as other friends, but I'm, I'm looking to educate myself in that. That's a whole other thing. Okay. I saw that you were making the short and it's like, okay, uh, I need to follow this woman and sort of boost that message because I love helping out stuff like that. And plus it's just kind of cool yeah. because- this uh, is uh, one of those Stephen King dollar babies, correct? It is, yes. So I'm a, a hardcore Stephen King fan and have been since I was a kid. Um, uh, and I so I, I had started the Dark Tower series and realized I needed to read other books of his related to the Dark Tower series. So in the last four years, I've actually read everything. Um, I just went crazy and I was just like, fuck it, I'm just gonna read everything. So um, I'm just finishing up the Dark Tower series again after like getting all the way back around to it. And in my in my reading, I read uh, Night Shift, which is one of his story, short, short story collections. And uh, I know what you need, really. I was like, this story, I'm into it. And I didn't really know how you got the rights to a Stephen King short story, so uh, that they has this dollar baby program. So you can get the rights to certain short stories for a dollar for a year. And then the stipulations in the contract are you can't sell it or broadcast it, but you can put it in private screenings and film festivals. And then it has to be 45 minutes or under. And then the biggest thing in the contract is at the end, you have to send a copy to Stephen King because he wants to see what people do with his work. So the end game is knowing that he'll see it at the end, which is bananas. Like, how do you even yeah. process that? Um, but the coolest thing about it, because I'm such a big Stephen King nerd, is that we got to film in Maine uh, at the University of Maine where the story takes place. Uh, so it's like the library they talk about is the library we shot in, the dorms of the dorms, like, legit so it was magic now correct me if i'm wrong and again because I, I remember looking it up and thinking about it but it's been a rough week so now i all my information for everything is all mixed up so forgive my okay. ignorance and maybe it's something we can't talk about i don't know but you're also you're you're working on another new adaptation is that correct or am i completely making that up no you are making that up you can tell me what adaptation i'm working on because i don't know <laughs> i could have sworn i saw something but maybe my brain just fried so I, I do apologize that's okay hopefully more will be there in the future uh, but okay. i did make a documentary before this out of print which came out in 2016 um which is about revival cinema and film itself so uh this is i've moved from feature documentary to narrative short which is not a journey i think a lot of people make but mm -hmm. hey it's stephen king and i will do this like dream project and get to adapt the story myself and tell it through my eyes and we said it in 1976 because aesthetically amazing and also if this internet exists the story kind of falls apart so it was all set in the 70s which is when the story came out so i was very happy about that as well 
that is i i that's another thing that i don't remember when i first found out about it but when i heard about the dollar baby program i was like wow like that is my first time hearing about it really dude yeah Yeah. it is like the ultimate form of like populism with an author for sure. And I mean, because of course he doesn't need to do it, right? He doesn't need the money. Obviously it's for a dollar, but the, the, the dream that every dollar baby filmmaker has is that in the early eighties, Frank Darabont made a dollar baby program, caught Stephen King's eye. He's like, Hey, let's have a chat. And then he ends up doing Shawshank and Green Mile in the Mist. So that's like every dollar baby filmmaker has the like Frank Darabont twinkle in the eye. And you're like, maybe, but maybe, but maybe. <laughs> if I make I know what you need maybe Rose Matter comes knocking on the door or, or one of the other books Rose Matter would not be my first choice but you know I'll take what I could get <laughs> well, all right pitch, pitch the pitch the world here what would it be um I feel like Dark Tower would be too much so I like even though there's a part of me that wants to say that I feel like I would crack under pressure there's no way um the, I mean you know and and one of my very favorites of his is one that I the Long Walk, which is an early one that was, you know, a Bachman novel. And it's amazing because it's uh, it's pretty much in one person's head. So it's like, you can't really make that movie. Like well, it's, you know, but I know they're going to make it. Yeah. I know, I know they are, but I'm ner- <laughs> I would be nervous about making that. Cause I yeah. feel like that would be like, I don't understand how you translate that to screen without just being like a voiceover. And it's kind of cheesy and like, it's so, and I don't, I would be so afraid of, of a movie making it bigger than it is. I'm like, I don't want it to be bigger. I want it to be small because like, it's such a singular, like focused story. Well, I guess that's where having somebody like Andre Overdahl, uh, you know, make it because he kind of, even though he's made what are considered at this point, I mean, scary stories telling the dark is probably what we consider his biggest films. Even his popular films were, on a much smaller scale, so maybe he's the guy to make it. You know, maybe they didn't. Fingers crossed. And I know we got we got Talisman coming out under the the watchful eye of Spielberg, so I'm sure that that's going to be great as well. Um, so I, I, you know, it's there's a, there's a bevy of things to choose from, but honestly, like this was my it's my very favorite short story that I have. So couldn't ask for anything better than that. But on on a different note, we are actually not here to talk about Stephen King uh, film or adaptation today. We're here to talk about. The 1988 Bill Fishman film, Tape Heads. Yeah. Which stars two men that are very familiar with the work of Stephen King. Mr. Tim Robbins, who was in that indie film you mentioned, Shawshank Redemption. (laughs) And then John Cusack, who was in 1408 and Cell. Yeah. Look at that. Stephen King connections anywhere you look. All things serve the beam. (laughs) I knew Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. We just got to go Stephen King now, yeah. I'm in that universe now, the Stephen King universe. Yes. Drink it in. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> but you know, Tapeheads was a movie that I remember. Like when it came out, I had no, I had no. And again, I was like eight years old at the time, so like I don't know if it would be drawn to me. But it's definitely that film that every time I walk into Blockbuster and I was walking through the comedy section. You I might, always see that box right might, there. You might see that. Exactly. There it is. Ah, now so see, that, that's, how, that's how it came to my attention. It was basically like crossing over in, in, the, uh, in the video store. Yeah, me too. But this is, uh, this is a film that I is kind of a family film of my family. We watched it constantly when I was growing up. And so we talk like we would yell swanky modes at each other all the time. Um, and and, and the, one of the funniest things about it is like we would always sing the Roscoe's Chicken and Waffle song. But I didn't, I grew up in Las Vegas. I didn't know, I thought Roscoe's was made up for the movie because it's so ridiculous, oh. right? So I didn't know it was real at all. And then I was in LA once and drove by it. And I was like, oh, 
it exists. I thought it was just a tape heads thing. Nope, it really, it really is there. So I've really championed it my whole life and like showed it to people a lot because it's very underseen. Um, and then I worked at the New Beverly Cinema for eight years. And this was one of the movies that I really tried to be like, okay, this needs to be a midnight movie. This needs to be a cult movie. We need to be showing it more. Like I was pushing for that really hard. So we had uh, the director down and we had, you know, I, I tried to like push it as hard as I could because I feel like it deserves the love because it's so funny and it's so weird and it doesn't really fit in any genre very well. And like, I love that about it. And I, I think that Tim Robbins and John Cusack are having a blast. And like, you could tell that's kind of the fun part because you know their buddies just like fucking around. And the, the whole fact that their characters are built to be childhood friends. It was something where honestly, I'm sitting and it's like, okay, I know these guys know each other. I know they've worked together, but it really honestly feels like they just knew each other from the womb mm. because they just build these characters and that rapport so beautifully. And yeah, any act, any two actors can really look like friends but this wasn't just looking like it it was two people on that wavelength really understanding each other through all the parking tickets <laughs> and to um my whole origin story with this was i actually first discovered it when anchor bay put out the dvd in like 2001 yeah. and kind of funny sort of tying into the film i was working at kmart at the time Oh. And I saw the DVD there and I just saw that it was the pink cover with like the enlarged heads that's on your pillow. It was your yeah. pillow, but that DVD art, that exactly. And just knowing John Cusack, knowing Tim Robbins, seeing that art and let's get into trouble. It's like, oh, let's get into trouble, baby. I got to do it right. Let's get into <laughs> trouble, baby. Because that's just such a catchphrase. But it, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, it hooked me. And then I think it was on Netflix. I saw it for the first time. Because for a little while, they had like Anchor Bay and Stars were to merge together at one point and Lionsgate. And they had like all the stars and Anchor Bay stuff on Netflix at one point. It's such a strange thing, though, because at the time, Tim Robbins wasn't a name really for anybody. He was still, he was still, I mean, he was in some big stuff, but he was still making his way in there. Cusack had, you know, his, his uh, John Hughes kind of stuff there, but still wasn't as big as he ended up becoming. And it's a movie that's filled with all of these music stars, whether they're before the time for certain people or after the time. And it's people watching it now are going to glomp onto it for Tim and John and or like the Jessica Walter fact that Jessica Walter's in it. And they, you're like, oh, I know her from Arrested Development. I get to see her on all this stuff now. Or but, Susan Carell or Clue Gulliger. I mean, yeah. there's a question in this movie, right? Yep. Exactly. If you were a cool kid, you know Clue Gulliger. Yes. And when I saw him the first time in real life, I was like, oh, it's Norman Mark. <laughs> <laughs> That's really where I knew him from. And I know, you know, it's so embarrassing because he has such a huge career before that, but like, that's what I knew him from. But yeah, I mean, but that's the thing. And like, now it's like nobody, I think even look, even in the mid nineties, even though they were, they were still very big and they're still big and popular, but people recognizing Fishbone when they're in the movie themselves or the fact that it's Junior Walker and, and Sam Moore of Sam and Dave who, who are the swanky modes, you know, and all, and again, a lot of other people, you know, even though you can hardly see him, it really is Weird Al Yankovic, you know? Oh, yes, yes. One of the rare instances where Weird Al Yankovic is a total jerk. <laughs> but it's like, I wonder where at the time, because I, 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 don't, I don't remember and I can't think of it, like, 
whether people were drawn to it or not, what was the fact that people kind of focused on compared to people who are going to watch it now, you know? I, I think everybody's going to be, th- it's going to come off differently, as anything should over time. But it's just a very interesting thing to me to, to think about that, like how people are going to perceive this now. Well, I mean, you have to kind of look at any movie through the lens of when it came out first, right? Like that's, and then you could put your modern spin on it if you want to, but then you're okay, where we're looking at this at a different time where this is a different a different kind of thing. But like the fact that it goes as hard music-wise, because this soundtrack's yeah. amazing, right? But then also goes so hard comedy-wise, like slapstick-wise, and like, you know, kung fu fights. And like, for me, the funniest scene in the movie for me is, John Cusack on his date where he sets his arm on fire and he has the cherry <laughs> with the slide whistle and like drinks the candle and like it's just like a minute but I, re- I remember watching because I kept rewinding it and rewinding it it's like this scene <laughs> it's so short and it's so hilarious well so, yeah like as you say it's kind of slapstick because I think it's funny because I think about this where I would compare it not I wouldn't necessarily have to but I do compare it a little bit to those savage Steve Holland John Cusack films who better <laughs> off dead and one crazy summer where there's a slight difference though, where to me, the Savage Steve Holland films, while there is a very strange, wacky atmosphere about them, I feel like the outside world around them is normal. But where in tape heads, like the whole world is just not normal. <laughs> no, no, this is definitely, this is very much a caricature of the modern 80s, right down to the fact that it almost feels like the whole Norman Mart blackmail thing is fresh from the Gary Hart scenario that happened around that same time. It's like, that sort of becomes the running gag in politics, but also in films about politics where it's like, okay, we, we've got dirt on this guy. We've got embarrassing personal dirt in like all capital letters. It, and it is, pretty imper- it is pretty embarrassing dirt. I mean, let's be honest. That's, that's- oh yeah. I mean, if you're, gonna go to the, if you're going to go to the ball and ask your fairy godmother, don't grovel. Don't wear a mask. That's the point. It's the groveling, right? You just ask with authority. So looking at this from the lens of 1988, I'm going to list some movies that came out before and after Tapeheads came out in October because we had films like Alien Nation, Clara's Heart, Punchline, The Accused, Night of the Demons, Pumpkinhead, Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, (laughs) Mystic Pizza on the same week as well as Without a Clue. And then Feds opened after. Look, first of all, I'm sorry, but because most of those films are on our list. Did we Oh, we hit Pater, didn't we? we and most of those films are, are really good. <laughs> well, see, that's, this is, it's just, uh, it's another one of those sort of packed lineups. Like you look at uh, 1991 or where it was like a Lethal Weapon movie was out, The Rocketeer was out. Uh, I think that was around the time UHF was out, but just like these, those crowded windows where there's so much potential for these things, but it all kind of butts heads and only a few are allowed out of the gate. I think it's so insane how close this movie is to say anything because mm. like you look, just like the way John Cusack looks is just, he looks like a different person completely. And I, I love, I don't think I've ever seen him play this kind of character before this like super sleazy like scumbag hate you know just wants to get laid like just an awful person and like they make a fun of norman mark for being an awful person you're like eh, Ivan's not, you know, they're not really nice guys you know like they're kind of terrible but that's kind of what's amazing about them and then well, they also live in this fantasy world where you can reach off screen and grab beer and like pull it back in and just like what 
kind of world is that? I don't even understand. It's so crazy, crazy cinematic universe. And I, look, and I don't want to be like I'm getting overly analytical now at this point, but it is something where I, when I'm rewatching it to prepare for this, I mean, I understand that it's this very crazy world where, you know, nothing really kind of, things matter, but, you know, it's not going to be real life. But I say to myself, it's like, how could he be friends with this guy? He's, I mean, yeah, they, they end up being popular, but it's by mistake. And he really just kind of screws his life up the whole, like, why would you be friends with that guy? I think as Josh couldn't find any other friends. Like he's yeah. so, you know, so undescribably shy that he's just been like, well, he's terrible, but he's my friend. So that's what I got. But yeah, Ivan, Ivan is not, Josh, I mean, Josh could do better. Let's be honest. Like Josh actually oh. has some talent, but it's just being used in the most awful ways. Although he's not the worst 80s friend when you really think about it, because there's been some, there's probably other worse 80s friends out there. Styles doesn't treat him very nicely. Styles kind of uses his fame, right? In Teen Wolf, where it's just like, I'm going to use the fame to make the money to, with the shirts and like sell out my friend. Sure, but it goes back to that, that, that classic, you know, not just 80s feel, this is just in general that feel like I can come and do, let's, like, let's, let's use the Farrelly brothers as, a, as an example. Um, you know, like I can go and make a movie that's really offensive to certain people, funny on the, on the, on the, on the surface, but because it's got heart at the end, because I think Styles would, at the end of the day, if it really came down to it, still would care about his friend, you know? Yeah. Ivan would just be out the door. If he had a, if he had a chance to, to fuck him over and just escape, he would totally do it. Yeah. Oh yeah. If this thing went tits up, he would have been like, Hey, it was him. Yeah, it was totally him. Like the parking tickets, the obscenity charges, everything. Uh huh. Um, and my family, you know, my parents have always been into R and B, so Sam and Dave is one of their favorite groups. Like for them, that was really the draw to this movie is to you know this wonderful music and to get the big concert at the end. And poor Menudo. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves oh, Menudo. They'll get over it. <laughs> Talking about Menudo because you know, like for a lot of people, it was a big cross wave. So until Ricky Martin became himself a solo artist, Menudo wasn't as, you know, in people's minds as much actually, which is I think really funny about the whole thing. Well, like, this thing just, this. this really does operate on this sort of odd crossroads of pop culture. And looking at it, I was just looking it up on Amazon the other day to like see if any, there were any, you know, reasonably co uh, priced copies on blue on a DVD. Mm. I know there's like import Blu-rays, I think. Oh, is it like out of print or something? I think it's out of print. Like I have not seen the DVD mm. probably since the 2001 edition. Why you need the VHS, man. This is, they're reliable. Here it is. No Very problem. True. You could get Very this one order at a thrift store. Well, not, not just a crossroads as you were saying there, Mike, but I also, I feel like this is the type of movie that when it came out was the reason why you had people like Roger Ebert and other critics saying they were worried about the MTV generation and what it was going to do to film because they thought this is what we're going to get. And that was it. Well, yeah. And plus the, there, there was an app. What my point was, I was, there was an Amazon review where someone's oh. like, this is kind of like an MTV generation blues brothers. Ah, okay. And to a certain extent, I do kind of buy into that. I don't think it's as anarchic and it's certainly not as, uh, not as R rated. And, you know, you don't have like a big Nazi chase or Carrie Fisher trying to blow them up with a, a rocket launcher, we but got some, we got some hot lady dress in action though. We yeah. got some, Heavy metal video vixens writhing. I mean, oh yeah, itself, right. And some uncontrolled FBI gunfire, like really <laughs> uncontrolled, right into that building. <laughs> Turning down all that money just for a tape. I mean, come on. There's there's a point where you just gotta cash out and just say, okay, look, have fun. 
<laughs> I got this this big this big box of cash here. But it also kind of you know it's it very I think cleverly makes fun of Los Angeles. It mm-hmm. makes fun of the music industry. It makes fun of the film industry. It makes fun of um, makes fun of MTV. Like all of this stuff all at once. And it, you know, on the surface, like it's on board for all of these things, but then like, actually you're just kind of poking fun at all of these things that people take super seriously. Oh no, especially in the time of MTV where it's like, everybody's probably starting to think about, okay, so what actually goes into the making of a music video? Because, you know, the, the, the early days you, you were lucky to get like a Peter Gabriel sledgehammer. Oh, that video lucky to get so good. That. Yeah. But for the most part, it was okay. Kind of simple visuals maybe some black and white something artistic but it wasn't we weren't the david fincher sort of era of music videos where you had vogue and all this other yeah, stuff but we had thriller by this point right where That's like that true. was pretty intense and you have That's like aha uh-huh, like those kind of videos where you're making yeah. it you know and those are like the penultimate ones but yeah you're right it's oh, mainly yeah. just like let's throw guns and roses in the recording studio and yeah it's fine it's good yeah. we'll that was more weird stuff and it's fine yeah that was more the exception than the rule at that point so mm-hmm. then you've actually got these guys that are trying to break into that. And if you tried to make that movie, maybe a couple of years later, you probably would have had to spend more money in terms of what people expected for a music video. Yeah, sure. So this is like right at sort of that event horizon where it's crossing into this. The, 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 there's about to be an explosion that just skyrockets that whole thing. I love watching movies where it's right on that cusp, you know? And it's like, yeah. I, I got to my first job was a video store. Um, it was Video Time, T-Y-M-E, that was in Las Vegas. And this was the summer that I worked that was like the super big action summer. Like I remember Passenger 57 was one of the big ones. And I, and everybody would come in and they'd be like, what's in and new and good? Like, that's the question. And I would always try to steer people like, well, what if we tried something else today? And like, so uh, Say Anything and, and Tapers, I remember were two of my big ones that I was like, uh, try something different and like you know say say anything got a hundred percent everybody loved it no problem across the board tapehead tapehead's got it you know sometimes people were like hey, it's a little too whatever but i i feel good i feel good that i tried to i tried at least and then they'd be like okay but what action movie do you have and i'm like okay that's fine you tried by the way i watched this on plex with ads this print is too good to just be on streaming because it was a rather clean and just I would say, I wouldn't even say pristine. Like it was really well, it was a real good quality. And it's like, what is it, again, why is this not on disc? This would hold up on a Blu-ray. I'm not going to beg for a 4k yet, but. <laughs> well, when it came out though, and obviously it didn't really do that well. Right. I mean, was the issue that people didn't get it or was the issue that the competition just crushed it? I think maybe it's a little too weird for people. Maybe yeah. just cause it's, it's just, it, because the tone is all over the place, but I think that really works. And like, I like that it's it's like wacky and I don't know if everybody likes that. And, you know, it's just like kind of what your sense of humor is. And to me, a lot of this is really funny and it, it's, it, to, and, and I, but it, it does come back to the glee that I see in everybody in this movie, that everybody looks like they're having such a good time. And I don't think how people realize how much that really affects a movie like you can kind of tell when people are not having a good time in their role right where they're just kind of phoning it in or whatever but if like if you're just messing around with your buddies I think like it really changes this into something that's and that I think that for me is really what I like about the movie when you ask me like bottom line like that's it people are having fun and it comes through 
for this movie was made for three million dollars in 1988 money only brought in 343,786. Oh no! Because the return of Michael Myers, man. Well, actually, I hear that's, that, that was the last good one of the original run. So, okay, maybe we'll be, we'll be a little less harsh on that. See, now I gotta, I gotta look it up too again because I remember finding this somewhere. Now I can't find any information because I know it was produced by Michael Nesmith, but wasn't mm-hmm. like, even though he didn't write it, I know he has the cameo in it. Yeah. I didn't, it wasn't something like where he's like, I need somebody to make something along these lines. Please, Bill, help me do this. Well, have you seen Elephant Parts? Because no, um, no. so Michael Nesmith did, I think there's two of them. There might be more. And it was even earlier than this. And it it's like super proto MTV stuff. Okay. And it's very, this is very similar. Like that's like way harder. If you took like this like MTV concept and then pushed it way out that's what this would be so i think it makes sense that he he this is a very in the same vein so it makes sense to me that he and he was kind of the weirdo monkey anyway right like he always wanted to push stuff further out and like i love that about him like it's great but i think you know i just to me it's sad when you see a film that deserves more love than it gets and like there's any number of factors right that, that can tr- contribute to that you never know so i feel like i've done my small part in the world and trying to spread the word at the video store and with my friends and at the new beverly i mean like i pushed for several screenings and like people and watching it in the theater with an audience is fantastic because to hear everybody laughing it just it makes it you know so much more than it is when you're watching it at home on plex with that yeah <laughs> I, yeah oh yeah i mean i would love to watch this uninterrupted with a crowd for a midnight 35 group. millimeter no less yeah. especially for that finale because mm-hmm. that is just it is one of those it, it really does hit you in the heart. And it is that, I guess that's the one big moment where everybody's like, oh yeah, this is like Blues Brothers. Yeah, cause they all have like the big finale at the end, blah, 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 blah. And, and then Jello Biafra shows up. So like, you know, that's what Blues Brothers had that too, right? <laughs> he, he shows up, he technically shows up early first, right? Doesn't he like, cause I maybe, maybe I'm forgetting already and I just rewatched the movie, but doesn't he like yeah, show yeah. up like really early and then just pack up again at the end? Cause he's one of the, one of the FBI agents, right? Is he in the lineup? I think he's one of the FBI agents. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a whole bunch of people you can single out in this. Like you mentioned Susan, Jessica Walter, who I was just, I rest in peace, Jessica Walter. I love that woman so much. And, you know. So many points oh, that dr- wearing that dress. Like she's wearing yeah. a dress. That dress is not wearing her. It's impressive. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. It, it takes a, a very just iconic person to, to do that with yeah. something that oppressive in the shoulder pads uh <laughs> you've got xander berkeley in here as an englishman as like that pompous agent and just uh... you know who we're forgetting yeah. oh, oh, who yeah, we, we still haven't mentioned don cornelius oh mo fuzz himself don <laughs> cornelius oh that is, is, those... this movie is how i learned about on spec i knew i learned what spec was from this movie <laughs> guys i'm gonna have to do this do this one on spec you got to complete your trilogy. I mean, these are things that I learned. <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny though, because I'm rolling back a little bit to what we were talking about earlier about like the the idea of like the grandioseness and quality of the actual music videos. Because I, again, I understand it's the time. I understand it's supposed to be silly. Even with that, watching all of their videos, I, I, I did think it was just like, oh, come on. This is just so stupid. Come on. But the accidental version of the funeral video 
was so fucking spot on. <laughs> it was like it is exactly what I imagined that if they if they didn't do that, Metallica was gonna release that video at some point in the 90s. <laughs> right? <laughs> Plus we have Devo, right? Where you got Devo yes. was cube squared. And I think that that sequence is hilarious. You know, you got just like, cause the thing is you have rock stars that take themselves so seriously yeah. and to see that break where like, cause you've seen how many, what is a music video, but to make you look cool, right? That's what the whole point is like, we're cool. We're in a band, we look awesome. And then to just have somebody floundering in glitter and paint is just like chef's kiss. So good. <laughs> so I found another King connection. Oh, you did. Yes. Because so director Bill Fishman has directed his fair share of music videos. And sure enough, you know, Mojo Nixon's in there, the George Satellites, Hank Williams Jr. and the Ramones. Ah. Yes, which Ramon music video is among the three that he made? Could it be Pet Cemetery? You are correct, ma'am. It is Pet Cemetery. <laughs> all right, see, it's all, all comes back. Cause a wheel, we're back here at the Bean. This is how- That just means we need to have Julia on again and get Stephen King with her. Because yeah, that sure. is, this is all culminating in that. Just give him a call. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll, Uncle Stevie will join us. No He's problem. Travel league. <laughs> Do we at all mention that apparently Courtney Love is uncredited as the woman spanking Clue Gulliger? No, we didn't. Oh. But now we did. I don't That's... know if it's true or not. This is what they claim. Yeah. That's a good. I I, I would put that in my resume, right? That's a good one. Spank Clue Gallagher. Or Clue Gulliger. It's like, yeah. how do you not? That was like that was like the whole like all apparently within the time frame from like 1985 to like 1989 no matter what you wanted to point out courtney love was somehow you know part of it like you know she was apparently sang a demo to be you know faith no more singer women back when they were faith no man in, in, in the mid 80s you could find her like apparently attached to everything in california at some point in one or another well you can't say that she doesn't hustle hard courtney love i mean that's nope. She tries real she hard. She is practically an unofficial video ace because that is that is the hustle, that is the the aesthetic and the work ethic of that company. And I mean, you 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 really have made it when you have a video cop that can conga on command. Because <laughs> that's another one of those lovely little details that I loved. It's like everybody's conging, and then John Cusack's filming Tim Robbins having sex. And the most that happens is his parents see it. Like you think about another scuzzy movie, they have a falling out, he releases that tape as leverage or threatens the tape as leverage. Nothing ever comes of it. It's never, a, it's not one of those forced moments where it's like, you invaded my privacy. Yeah, well, you, you betrayed the band or you betrayed the videos. It's yeah. like, oh, I yeah. like that they never have that moment. I like that there's yeah. never a big dramatic moment in this movie, really. Like they, it's so cartoonish that like no, Nobody is ever going to get hurt. It's all kind of this silly universe. And I, I, I like that they avoided that because I feel like a lot of movies would fall into that trap and like now the friendship falls apart and this is out three, but they're going to get together at the end. And, you know, and they do have the brief tussle in like the control booth at the end, but that's really just, if it, and it feels like 12 year old boys having an argument because I feel like they've never really gotten past that, you know? Can I, can I point out a very small point in the movie that I think is really lovely is them dancing on the rooftop together and like it just like they've been dancing all night and then like turns to dawn and it's just really nice that's one of the so, moments that sold me on the friendship that that was like really that was the bow on top of everything because in the beginning you know you 
you do see the shorthand with the home videos and that's a wonderful and and, and their their handshake yeah right? oh that lovely complicated handshake it's um, like and i i did once for an audition uh learn how to do the abc's backward with all the sign language skipping all the vowels <laughs> And I did audition, yeah, and nobody was impressed. But I was like, it took me a while to learn how to do that, guys. <laughs> I'm amazed they. I'm amazed you could do that because watching them do it, I don't know how anybody did it. So that's impressive. So a little practice, and you too can do it and impress no one. <laughs> I can't even. I, I, I can do the alphabet backwards. Don't get me wrong, but not at that speed. And skipping all the vowels. And, and skipping all the vowels. Oh yeah, no way, no way. Well, maybe if I did it really slow. Hey, that 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 backwards alphabet gag was the gag of the decade. I mean, look at the man with the two brains. Everybody can do it. Why can't you guys? Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a real test, guys. Like quicksand, like uh, any of these other things that we thought we were always going to run into as adults. Yeah. Well, everybody needs like a secret handshake, though, right? My move. I have a movie night every week, and we have a secret handshake. What? I don't have no secret handshake. What we're gonna have to make one at some point, Matthew across 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 the computer that kind of virtual handshake no these hand signs are yeah incredible. i don't know what, i don't know what's going on at all it's all you know we'll work it out. we'll do it in post what do you what do you think could would anybody even dare try and make something this silly now without having again going back to like whether it's the friend rift or having at least one moment of you know dramatic pause you, do, do you think anybody would do it Without it, that is. I don't think so. I think this is a very unusual thing. It reminds me of, I don't know if you guys have ever seen um, a show from the 80s from England called The Young Ones. Of course, yeah. Okay, so this reminds me a little bit of that, that chaos of chaos and like you don't ever know what's going to happen next because it's absurd and anything could happen. But there's also musical numbers. So it's that kind of mashup of worlds. And I think like the young ones is a, is a show I can think about. Where, like I don't think they ever had a dramatic moment. There was never that. Like you know, they're screaming at each other constantly, but it's all done in this comedy style. So I think it's unusual to get any sort of comedy where like we're just going to be comedy. It's there's nothing you know because I think Hollywood especially like we're going to push you for this dramatic moment. We're going to push you for this love story. And like yes, they both fall in love, but in not like a big romantic way. Like they're not like burying their each other's hearts for each other or anything. They're just kind of like goofy. In well, very different ways. <laughs> I mean, I guess it doesn't exist in movies per se, because I, I can think of other more modern shows where it's just pure, you know, you can think of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia or Peep Show, where it's just like about uncomfortable comedy the whole way through, and we're not trying to be friends in any way whatsoever, uh, or nice to each other, let's put it that way. But yeah, in movies, I don't, I don't, I don't, for some reason, I feel people have to follow that. Well, if I don't give them some sort of catharsis, it's pointless, no matter how stupid I'm being. But they're like, do, do these characters learn anything? No. I mean, no, they learn how to screw people over and that's pretty much it. Like there really isn't, and they don't, there's no moral. Like <laughs> there's no like <laughs> underlying theme really. Even their victory in the end is by, by an own goal by Norman Mard himself, because if his men were a little more competent and if he was more competent, this would have been done probably a lot sooner. And it ends with your main characters going to jail. So, you know, like what more could, I, I love a downbeat ending. <laughs> because of Chekhov's parking tickets. Because <laughs> the whole movie, right from the beginning when they're first going to work, you see that first parking ticket and then through the whole movie, it just kind of snowballs and snowballs. And then the, the moment that came up on the screen, 
I was like, you were ecstatic. Oh, okay. That that's that sound. And I like the double twist where it's like, yeah, they 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 broadcast smut on TV, but but that was okay. But the parking tickets, <laughs> the parking tickets were the problem. I think what's even weirder, to be honest with you, is that in this day and age, whether it was a movie or real life, if that video came out, it probably make that politician more popular. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, th- that's an easy sympathy vote. There, it's like, look, my privacy has been invaded. Uh, and apologies to Kool Gulager for not trying to impersonate him because no one can impersonate him and I will not do it. But you'd be like, look, my, my privacy was invaded. And as an alternative American, I believe I should be able to pursue my liberty and happiness without your, you looky lose. Thank you very much. Mm, there you go. You got my vote. <laughs> yeah, but it could also be like, it was a deep fake. It wasn't real. And then everybody feels sad for him. And I don't know why. <laughs> they are attacking me because like they are attacking American values. Yes, exactly. One way or another, it's like a positive from the children. <laughs> it's weird though. It's weird thinking about it. You know, like times haven't changed, but they have changed. And it's just so strange. And I don't know. Maybe I should maybe I'm already taking this in a whole other direction that we should just stay away from. But now well, I'm just, in the same ta- in the and that same take, it's kind of like the movie industry or the music video industry, the game sort of changed in aesthetic but it didn't really change in how it operated well I, that's that's the funny thing too when you think about it though because though with the death of actual music television quote unquote uh you know like if the modern version was made now it would be like a tiktok star or a youtube star that this would have to revolve around right you know and it would be like the person who um stumbles on their way to edit something really cleverly i guess i don't know you know, that tape heads reboot that's totally in the works, right? Oh, yeah. That's that what I'm adapting next. You've outed me. I'm actually just adapting tape heads next. Here we go. No, I wouldn't do that. This movie's perfect. It doesn't need to be remade. And it couldn't be remade because it wouldn't work because I don't want to watch this movie about TikTok stars. I'm sorry. But the, you know, like it only works because of the people who are in it at this very specific time mm. where you have Fishbone like doing a country song. And it's like, what is happening in this movie? I don't even know. And that's what's great about it is, it, you know, it's like this real specific period in time that you're never going to get again. A country song where if you listen to it carefully enough, it's like, oh, wow, this is background in this movie. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just casual Fishbone in the background. Yeah. You know, they also doing the musical score, throwing a cowboy song. Amazing. Yes. So I'd say, you know, watch the movie, get the soundtrack, because then it's every, you know, it's so good on both levels. Yeah. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a movie that, you know, like I, again, saw when it, you know, when I, whatever I saw it in the video store that time, but it's not one I revisit very often. So I, I actually, this is something that I, as much as you watch it so often with your family, as you say, mm-hmm. I feel that this is better when I revisit it less. I mean, I still want to revisit it, but I got to have a break, a big break before I see it again, because I'll forget and I'll forget some of the songs and I'll forget. So I'll forget that the FBI agents want to become their own video stars all of a sudden <laughs> while they're trying to distract them from to get so they can get the tape. You know, <laughs> it just everything about it is just like, it's almost like the one film I'd rather completely forget about before seeing it again. That's a good thing, though, right? Because that's a movie oh, yeah. you could rewatch for the first time. Isn't that a, like the sign of a good movie? Like, oh, I wish I could watch it again for the first time. Thinking back on it, is it strange that my family watched this movie a lot? <laughs> like, no. So, okay. Oh, man. I come I from a family. It, like, it's, it's a strange movie, but we, 
so into it. I come from a family that, I mean, I remember one time we were watching Porky's together. My father, That's my weird. grandmother, and my grandfather and oh I were all watching God. it. And then when it gets to the scene where they're, they're in the principal's office talking about the wanted poster. Oh my goodness. We're all on the floor. Wow. I cannot think of anything less I would want to watch with my family than Porky's. That would be so embarrassing. As, as Mike very well knows, I have watched a lot of films I should not have been watching when I was very young, like 10 years old, with permission from my parents. And I definitely watched a few films with my parents and I'm like, why am I necessarily watching this? But they knew how mature I was in, in dealing with this kind of stuff and they wanted to push my interest in film. But family sit down for Porky's is a little weird. I'm sorry, Mike, I'm sorry. <laughs> hey, you know what? Uh, we also- How old were you though? I think I must have been like 14, 15, like. Yeah, that. yeah, that's, I mean, if you told me you were in your late 20s, maybe. Nah, yeah, and there was like, even History of the World Part One was another one that we eventually got that's to okay. That's that, a- yeah, yeah there, there, there is that, that differentiation, but I, I just thought of the perfect music video that this film is kind of an analog to. Okay. Fish Heads. Ah. This is like the same sort of sensibility or a similar sensibility because it doesn't go quite into the fish head realm, right. but it is very much on the level of that. Like I am sure people that loved that video went to see this movie. I bet you didn't say you'd be saying the words fish head realm today, did you? <laughs> no, no, but now that is exactly going to be my uh, cinematic universe I'm going to pursue. And I ask for everyone's respect at this time. Forgive me if either I'm having a brain fart or I am ignorant. What is fish heads? Oh, wow. Ooh. Okay. So it's this really wacky song that came out in the mid 80s. My parents used to sing this song a lot too, um, when we were growing up. And it's it's fish heads, fish heads, roly poly fish heads, fish heads, fish heads, eat them up, yum. No, yeah, nothing. I don't, I, this, is, this is news to me. I'm going to have to send you the link to this because this is. No, you don't. <laughs> this is early, early MTV. This is I that will, first. Era. I will tell you that right now, basically what you are explaining to me is the 80s version of Baby Shark. So I'm no. not gonna watch but it if you send it to me. It's way more absurd, right? Yeah, okay, yeah like I, I, can, I can imagine that, but still. With a <laughs> lot, with lines like, roly poly fish heads have never seen drinking cappuccinos in Italian restaurants with Oriental women. All right, hold on. Yeah. Me... You gotta, you gotta. I mean, it sounds it sounds weird, but it it is weird, but it's iconic. I like weird, I love weird, but. This sounds like something I maybe I'm, I was better off not knowing about kind of thing, and maybe I should keep it that way. No, I got to tell you, when you're like an eight-year-old kid, it's hilarious. So oh, yeah. sorry you missed out. By Barnes and Barnes. Yep, this was a Dr. Demento staple. Oh, Dr. Demento. At least in 1978. That's the movie has Dr. Demento vibes. Yes, yes, which only makes the, the Weird Al appearance even more exciting. I wish the only thing with the Weird I just wish they'd given him a close-up. Because like you think because they don't give him a close-up that it's an impersonator, but then the credit's like, oh no, it was really him. Exactly. And, like, yeah. okay. and also, who was it? It's um Ted Nugent's in Ted there. Nugent, yep. Yeah. Dougie Fresh is in there. And like just but they like their cameos are so small and they don't even really give them like the like, hey everybody, it's weird Al cameo, right? They don't yeah. even do it. Like eh, it's fine. This is a movie that this was still in that time where networks had brought had a movie production arms before the age of streaming because this was an nbc production mm -hmm. and i'm trying to figure out how nbc got involved with this i That's can't imagine but well, it must have been like that 
I think it, I think it would be unlikely this film would get made today. Period. Like I think it would just be passed over. I think yeah. it would be. It would have to be one of those indie indie yeah. movies where maybe they get lucky and someone stumbles on it, or maybe it's a Netflix movie. Where even though we have big names, we have NBC and whatnot. Like I feel like it still feels completely like an indie movie. Like it doesn't feel yeah. like a movie studio movie. I feel like it feels like dudes fucking around. And I think they, they have these big stars is what makes it great because obviously I don't know, you know, what the purpose was of how they all work together, but obviously John Cusack and Tim Robbins were like, Hey, we want to make this movie together and we want to make this movie together. So it was something that like, really, they didn't need to, I mean, they already had done so many things before this and I'm sure they had their, they were both, you know, coming up, we had, you know, Howard the Duck, Tim Robbins was doing all sorts of stuff. So uh, they had their things and they didn't need to make, you know, I'm sure they didn't make a ton of money off of tape ads at all, but it's no. something that they chose to, and that's what's cool about it. All right, here we go. Where is Music video directed by Bill Paxton. Wh which music video? Fish Heads? Fish Heads, apparently. Bill Paxton? Of course. WTF. Huh. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> wow, that's it. You got like 15 seconds in. And no, no, honestly, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and make everybody listen to it for the whole thing. That would be, that would be really weird. So I'll have to go after you myself. Listen to all two and a half minutes of fish heads right now. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, hi, I'm Matthew Shuckman. I'm going to tease you guys with me listening to fish heads. And then I'm just not going to deliver because. Patreon <laughs> reward. Very true. Very true. That could, that would be, that would be a very interesting one and a callback now, but yeah, apparently uh, Bill Paxton directed and appeared in the music video. Dr. Demento's in there. And this yes. was aired on SNL December 6th, 1980. Thank you, Wikipedia. Ah, all right. Fish heads, tape heads, all the heads today. Yeah, exactly. What are the heads can we get in? Michael, Michael Nesmith, who was in head. Oh, head, so good. Well, so weird. Well, and that, but there, there we go. This is that's kind of a, 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 you know, along the same lines, right? Of just wacky weirdness going on. Yeah. You don't know where it's gonna go. There's no dramatic moments. It's just bananas. Well, you, you guys know the story of why the movie's called Head, right? I sure do. But please, I'm sure the listeners don't. Or do you want me to say it? Well, I mean, I mean beyond the already obvious, it, they really wanted to make it so they can make a sequel, so they can say from the guys who gave you Head. Yes. yes. <laughs> Yes. good clean monkeys fun and i like that that's the first time you see the, the monkeys not be clean and fun it's them making fun of themselves and saying you know look at us be these corporate shills and puppets and what how ridiculous it is i don't know how i know that story too like i don't know where i heard that or where i read it originally but like i just know it's stuck in my mind it's like that's the reason why yeah mm -hmm. even in a crack <laughs> article or something probably so many, Man. so many weird things like that. Like there was um, uh, recently, I, I, you know, Mike through my Taskmaster obsession. There's the story of of why how Evil Knievel decided to be call himself Evil Knievel. Does anybody already know this story? I don't, I don't know that one. So his last name is Knievel, um, and apparently he was in jail one time, and the guy in the cell next to him was named. Um, they, his nickname was Awful Knoffel. <laughs> and he says, well, if this guy's Awful Knoffel, I'm going to be Evil Knievel. Basically, it's the short version of it. Okay. So that's how he decided to call himself Evil Knievel. See, jail has his positive moments as well. <laughs> yeah. 
And uh, in the time that it took you to tell that story, Matthew, you could have finished Fish Heads. <laughs> Full Fish Heads will be available on our future coming Patreon for all members who donate a certain amount of money, which we'll tell about later. Bye. <laughs> we're going to have to let, it's going to be like a stretch goal where it's like, okay, if we make this much money, we're doing a whole episode on Fish Heads. I think no. we will have to do the, recreate the video shot for shot. I am in. Ooh. I, I, here's my idea. And I, I don't mean to change it from that, but. Because that could be that could be one goal, but another stretch goal could be, if we make a certain amount, I will have a twenty-four hour stream of me just listening to the song twenty-four hours straight. Wow, you're going hard. Yeah, that's really hard. That's like well, it's a large, it's a large stretch goal. It's a large, it's a large amount for that goal. I feel like that's you like would a be mad by the end of it. Yeah, maybe we'll do twelve hours. I want to well, go to sleep. You've already said 24. Don't dial it back now. Well, it's not in there. Well, I mean, look, I'm going to have to sleep, right? This is going into congressional record now. I'm not going to lie to you, Ashley, though. If somebody put me in a room with like nothing other than was forced to play that, I would fall asleep. I would just immediately fall asleep after like an hour, probably. But it would get in that subliminal message. Oh, yeah. You would dream That's about it. Start. I'd wake up, fish, heads. Fish, yeah, uh, there should definitely also be LSD involved in this experiment. Can I just throw that in there? I mean, let's go. If we're going to go hard, let's go all the way. That would yeah. be like, you'd have to give me a billion dollars because I don't, <laughs> I, don't, I don't really mess with that kind of stuff. That's like us getting bought by Audible or some like really big podcast. No, you'd have like, to give me a month, enough money for me just to like go away and never come back again. I'm sorry. Ooh. Because as Mike, as Mike knows and as people are I'm sure sick of hearing about at this point, I have not thrown up in 31 years and I plan on never throwing up again. And taking LSD may offer me the option to throw up because I'll be trip too bad and not really like the experience and just throw up. And I'm not, I'm not chancing that. So you have to give me enough money where I never have to worry about living ever again. But then also, are you not perhaps uh, giving, uh, depriving yourself of joy that you might have only because care. of this fear of, of, of yakking? Don't care. And you, okay. All right. It's, it's so alien to me at this point. I don't remember what it's like to actually be nauseous in all these other things. So like I have an irrational fear of it um, because I know it's going to happen eventually. It has to. And I know once it happens, I'll be like, all right, it's over. Who cares? But I don't want it to come to that because I'm just so far removed. You like avoid the- roller coasters and that stuff too? No, I love roller coasters. Okay. Yeah, ah. I love roller coasters. Ah, I'm, I like learning these intimate details about these, you know, po- podcast hosts. Now I know. <laughs> You've never vomited in 31 years. I know these things. Yeah, I was 10 years old. And I remember I remember exactly the whole situation, how it happened, where I ended up, where it ended up, all that I think fun we stuff. Can probably, we could probably skip that story. We could probably move on to something yeah. a little a little sexier. Fish, um, have you, have you fish, been fast. to Chicken Waffles? Can I just pivot that story? Okay. Yes. Yes. Have you been there? No. No. Okay. I haven't been to LA. Okay. Uh, when you come to LA... You have to go to Roscoe's because I know it sounds like a joke, but I will tell you that they, they honest to God, have the best chicken and the best waffles I've ever had. Well, I'm ready for that. I am so ready. Here's my thing. I absolutely am in love with fried chicken. I am absolutely in love with waffles. I never understood chicken and waffles though. I can't do it. I I don't want my syrup on my goddamn chicken. You do. Yes, you do. It's the it's the delicious taste sensation of the colliding of the sweet and the savory and the crispy and the salty and this the maple. I mean, it, it it's ugh, buttery deliciousness, man. I can't. It's like steak and eggs, Q-sack you are and robin. You're yourself of so much joy, sir. 
I don't want steak and eggs either. I'll give me eggs and give me steak. I don't want no steak and eggs. I might make him vomit and then, you know, all bets are off. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to reset the clock on that. Okay. Well, maybe Roscoe's chicken and waffles could change your mind. Let me just say you could give it a try. Here's the thing. I would absolutely try chicken and waffles. Don't get me wrong. It's just one of those things where like, since I'm not really into it, I don't want to spend my own money on a whole chicken and waffles meal. Right. So if you let me try some of your chicken and waffles, that's fine. Fine, for $25,000 plus airfare on Patreon, we will do a live show at Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles and we're going to eat everything off that damn menu. And yeah. I, will eat, I will eat the full meal there because you paid for it. <laughs> I will well, be I will, one no, of the Roscoe's would... Chicken and Waffle girls in the little outfits doing the little moves. This is practically... Waffles just pancakes with little squares on them. I mean, this is, we learn these things. That's a self-help book right there. <laughs> Waffles just pancakes with little squares. That are open to things <laughs> are you open to things then you're a waffle are you not oh then you're God. i'm scared right now i'm a waffle aren't you a waffle we're all waffles i'm an English waffle. i like that this podcast has gotten as wacky as tape heads like i don't know where we're going next we've talked from vomit to waffles i mean it's just gone everywhere that's probably just the ultimate tribute to this film is just to, uh, to discuss it but also to lack the structure because it, 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 it's a movie that's made with a mindset that's like, look, we're not going to be discussed in film class. You're not going to have a professor coming up saying, today, we're, so we're not talking about the 1988 classic tape heads. It's something that you watch with your friends over alcohol and popcorn, maybe chicken and waffles. I think that would actually be a wonderful thing for this. And just, it is meant to be shared and appreciated on its own terms and without irony or pretension just it's a ball of fun agreed and with that no sorry no 31 years came to this Yeah, I'm telling you, it's never happening again, but we'll, we'll move away. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll move away from this talk. But if it happens, it will happen on overdue rental <laughs> for 15,000 but I would say with that I think it's time that everybody do go and cross tape heads off your overdue rental list. If you haven't seen it yet, go see it. Especially since it is streaming on Plex and I think Tubi. Like there was more than one. I mean, it's it's easy to rent on streaming, but there were free with ads. So if, you know, there is no monetary barrier here. And, you know, but if you really do want to be a true fan, go get yourself a copy on physical media. VHS. VHS. VHS, DVD, Blu-ray. I'm sure there's a Super 8 copy in Tim Robbins' closet. Uh, I'll <laughs> well, ask him next time. This copy I have is the copy that we've had in my family since like 88. So it's still, wow. it's still kicking with no issues. Wow. Like I can pop it in right now and watch it and there would be no problem. So That's I'm impressive. just going to say that about for VHS. That really is impressive. Julia, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you on the internet if they need to find you? So um, I do have two podcasts of my own. I have one called Horror Movie Survival Guide with my best friend, Terry. We talk, take a deep dive every week into a different horror movie and talk about how you can survive that specific movie to become the final girl or finally final boy. I also have a podcast about the filmmaker Alejandro Jodorowsky called Jodowowski. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are, uh, we are having fun with that. And uh, so we're about to, to cover his comic series, The End Call, which would be really fun. And um, I am on uh, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. I am Julia C. Marchesi, 
and I love talking to people. So talk to me about tape heads. I will talk to you about it to the cows come home with great delight. She's going to literally wear a button to all of her appearances now that says, ask me about tape heads. I would wear that button. If you buy me that button, I will wear it 100%. I think we should make them. And now we need an Etsy store. Can we can make that button and sell it? <laughs> Well, look, I mean, Patreon makes new merchandise for you. You just tell them what to put on there. Let's, well, there we go. Ask me about tape heads. Norman Martin, 88. <laughs> Mike, where can people find us, though? Ah, well, if you have found us, Overdue Rentals, the podcast that, much like Video Aces, propped up the swanky modes, we wanted to prop up tape heads, thanks to the lovely Julia here. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Overdue Rentals Show, on Twitter at Rentals Overdue, on Facebook at Overdue Rentals. And if you want to send us suggestions, love letters, blackmail threats of random videotapes of Matthew vo not vomiting, uh, you can send us a message at overduerentals at gmail.com. But most importantly, you can find our show wherever you find your fine podcasts. So please be sure to subscribe, leave a rating, leave a review. It's, you know, I'll leave you with this because just because you said it, Mike, only because you said videos of Matthew not vomiting, because as much as I hate it, as much as I don't even like watching fake vomit on, on screen, there is somewhere in a collection, a videotape that my brother and I made when we were teenagers of us fake vomiting to the entire, the entirety of ministries burning inside. And wow. I don't know where it is, but it was very okay. funny. Well, that's going to be, have to be dug up now, isn't it? <laughs> I you can't tease us with something like that. Wow. My brother a, and I made some very horrible. strange videos when we were young. And there's some really good ones. And that's, that's definitely one of them. Goodness. Well, uh, Julia, thank yeah. you so much for your time. I cannot wait to see. I know what you need. Thank you. And please, let's, let's, have, let's have Julia back on again, please. Can we? Can we, father? Can we please? There are so many uh, movies on the list that you gave me that I would love to talk about. This was one of like a hundred. So anytime I will talk about, I, you see the, the glee that the movies bring out in me. And so that's what this is all about. <laughs> it is all about the trouble and the glee, baby. <laughs> and now to hit everybody with the exit. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.